Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Um, I'm going to be teaching um, today. We're going to start just a little series of um, what I talked to you about, not last week, but the week before, uh, prophecy. Um, as soon as I find my, my Bible, the one I want. Here it is. Good. Uh, for this series, I'm going to be preaching out of a different translation. I'm going to be using the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, some of you may have it. Um, but I'm also, but also corresponding with the NASB as well, too. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible is, is roughly a, a newer translation. It came out probably in the middle 2000s, and it came out as a, um, or early 2000s, it came out as a Holman Christian Standard Bible, and then they, they, a lot of times they'll go and refresh the translation, check everything, and then they call it the CSB, just a Christian Standard uh, Bible. It's, uh, it's not a bad translation at all. Um, it, it's pretty well, and you'll find that it lines up a lot with the NASB, which is one of the most literal translations you have. So you have the translations of word for word and thought for thought, right? And the NIV is a thought for thought, and the New Living Translation is a thought for thought, and uh, the NASB, New American Standard Bible, is a literal, tries to be literal word for word. King James is, drifts more into literal word for word, but nobody really speaks that English anymore anyway. So now we've got New King James, and those and, 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 and ESV is very literal as well, too. They rank on the word-for-word translation. So, um, so we're using something that falls kind of more in the middle of between word-for-word and thought-for-thought. And the reason they do that is try to make it easier for people to read at like a fifth or eighth grade level. Okay? I find that helpful at times. Uh, so we are using, uh, when we're talking about prophecy this time, we're gonna be, I'm going to be speaking out. So it's not exactly word for word for NASB or anything else that you're using. Uh, just hold on. You, it, it says the same stuff. It just puts it in sometimes different order. So, all right. So when we're talking about prophecy, uh, that is a big word. And so let me give you the definition of prophecy right now for you, okay? You're going to love this. Uh, came up with it. Prophecy is all about telling you what's going to happen in the future. And if you give me $500, I will give you a prophecy that lines out your entire life from here until you die. That is exactly not what it is. Okay? That is not what prophecy is. There is a bit, a small part, that, that God uses to talk about future things. And most of us in this building have had our bells rung when someone who has had the gift of prophecy has spoken into us, and sometimes it's about what has happened in the past, sometimes it's been what is happening right now, and sometimes it's been about future things. And most of the bells that have been rung have been about either what has happened in the past that we didn't tell anybody about, or what is happening now that we haven't told anybody about, and all of a sudden God uses someone with the gift of prophecy to zero in on something, good, bad, or indifferent, and, and that is not... Um, that is for encouragement, because sometimes people, you know, they have a hard time hearing from God, and so God uses that gift, and, and he can use that gift in all, any one of us here uh, to touch somebody and let them know that he, that he knows, and he is for you, okay? So, sometimes there's, I've had, um, 
I've had some things where some people have spoken into my life, and they've talked about future things. Um, some things are, are kind of grandiose, and so you're just like, well, I don't know. I, if that's God, I'll take it, and I believe in it because I want God to have his way in me. So if it's those things that he has spoke from one person, from a, from a guy in Mexico. <laughs> Remember that guy? Yeah. Um, it was a pretty wild time. So uh, I have seen a few of those things kind of happen, but there's more. And so um, I hold those future things, um, and I watch over them. I, and what we did was is those th- I wrote those things down. I looked at them. And I'm like, God, you know, is this you? I've talked to some other people. Some other people said, yeah, I, I, that really resonates with me. I'm like, okay, well, I'll hold on to these things because I test the future stuff. I test the spirits of, of, of what's being said to me to make sure that it's the Holy Spirit and not a deceiving spirit. So let me, let's go back a little bit. We're going to look in First uh, Corinthians a little bit in chapter 12. And so um, uh, Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and uh, the Corinthians have gotten like out of order with some stuff. It's been like really, they've gotten really silly. And Paul goes through First Corinthians, and he's really setting the church back in order the way it should work. Because they've, they've been doing st- stupid stuff. They've been, they've been um, uh, mixing their worship. They've, been, they've just been doing stupid stuff with spiritual gifts. All these different kinds of things. And so Paul's kind of and says, hey, listen, we're not throwing out spiritual gifts. We need them. But he's kind of addressing of how they've been misused. And so we're now going to place them in, in how they should be used in context with the church, right? So here's what Paul does not get rid of. He does not get rid of spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, you may have heard in the past um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where people have used scripture, and I'm going to go to that, to say that when the Bible came, spiritual gifts stopped. And they'll say that because we've got what they call the canon, the New Testament, that spiritual gifts have now stopped. The church no longer needs them, right? Well, here's my problem. There's a lot of problems with that, but here's the one problem. See, they had the Old Testament with the Israelites... Jesus would quote it. But having the Old Testament and, and those manuscripts for them was, was really not enough to keep them to follow it, was it? They were still needing God to move miracles, signs, and wonders. So they had the Old Testament and nobody said, well, because we have the Old Testament, we don't need God to part the sea anymore. But there's still miracles that are happening in the Old Testament that God is moving, even though they would have had what they would have considered back then a canon. So somehow we get to the New Testament, and, and here's what I think happens. I think, you know, when, when people stop relying on the Holy Spirit or seeking the Holy Spirit, not just for, for weird stuff, but just for day-to-day stuff, then things start to dwindle in their life. It, it's just like this. You have this campfire, right, and lightning struck, and all of a sudden there's this big campfire, you know, or there's big fire. and you're like, Oh, well, it's nice. It's big. It's warm. It's awesome. But at some point, the fire is going to burn out. It's going to dwindle down, and it's not going to be as powerful as when it first started. So here's what I've done. Sometimes in my youth, and um, I've used a liquid called gasoline to start a fire. I don't recommend it because I used a lot of it, right? And so it's like, well, if a little works, a lot will work better. And so, you know, you, you saturate the wood with gasoline, and, you know, you light the fire, and whoosh, right? 
you're like, I've done something really stupid here, and I'm regretting it right now. And the fire is just taking off, but gasoline will, will whoosh really fast, and as it burns off quickly, the fire comes down. Now, if you really want a hot and powerful fire, what I have realized, I've never done, I've just looked this stuff up, is that diesel, or a little bit of oil, is better for keeping the fire burning hotter and longer. And I have watched, as I have had what I call Mount Harmon in my backyard, piled high, full of sticks, you know, it, it's crazy, and I have seen those massive, tr- I'm talking also tree trunks, dwindle to ash within a couple days because the intensity of the fire that was on there. I'm talking about tree trunks. I'm not talking about your little branches. I'm talking about tree trunks because the fire was so hot. Now listen, you know it's hot because it's white. And it's just eating that wood. I mean, it's just like consuming everything. So I'm watching this stuff come down and what was once a mountain is now just white ash within a couple of days. And I was pretty impressed. Now, it's not something I did, but um, it's something that somebody else did and I watched and I was very impressed with. So I started thinking to myself, sometimes as Christians, uh, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the fire of God. We see in Acts chapter 2, when they're seeking, uh, praying, that the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles. And the Bible says there is fire that lands over the top of their head. Um, again, I know it's, what I'm about to say is maybe not popular in certain places, but I don't think that the fire on top of their head is necessarily referring to a specific gift. I don't. I think if you look at the fire and how it falls in context with the rest of the Bible, what you see is fire is representation of the presence of God coming into his temple. And so in the old temples, you have the fire of God fall in Moses' temple. You have the fire of God fall in Solomon's temple. And then you have the fire of God fall in these temples because 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that God does not dwell in buildings made by man, but your body has now become the temple of the what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in fire, and so what falls upon them is actually the presence of God, and that is that takes up residence inside of those believers. It is the power of God. Now, with that power comes gifts, and the first gift you see is the gift of tongues. Now, this gift is going out. Uh, this gift is of tongues is actually tongues of the uh, languages that are on the earth. Because as they come, they're hearing this loud sound and all the Jews from all over who are in Jerusalem at that time during the festivals are hearing the, the message of God in their own natural languages. And they're saying, hey, aren't these guys Galileans? How is it that we're hearing them speak in our own natural language? So at that moment, what you see happening is God's presence going out and everybody from wherever they were, Spain, Rome, you name it, they have their own like dialect and language, and all these people are hearing it in their own languages, okay? Powerful. That's a miracle. These guys did not go to language school. They didn't say, okay, we got 50 days. Um, uh, you get this language. Study quick. No. It's something that the Holy Spirit did in the lives of those guys to show the power of God in the declaration. Okay? So everybody's like, whoa. 
This is crazy. To the point where the guys that are coming and hearing things in their own language are saying, these guys are drunk. And mocking them because they're like, oh, they're just drunk. Those of you who have, in the past, before Jesus, who may have had the tiniest bit of too much of alcohol in your life, to where you maybe were not in control of your faculties, have never spoken in another language that you never studied. You may have spoken drunkenese, but nobody on the earth understood what you were saying, right? Nobody understood what you... You were just dumb. These guys are... are, are they're saying, they must be drunk because this is crazy. Now, I will grant you when the Holy Spirit falls into a place, sometimes it can get kind of thick. We've had times when special guests have come and the Spirit is hit and people have passed out under the power of the Spirit and this has been full of, of bodies and you've got to watch where you step. And that, those are good things. That's not bad. That's God showing up and doing something. And the only thing these guys on the earth know what to do in what is happening in this miraculous form is say, these guys are drunk. He's like, we're not drunk, we're full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit filling them is giving them power for what purpose? For themselves? No, 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 no. To declare the glory of God to the earth because God's desire is that mankind should be saved. And the gospel is the thing that goes forth that brings the life-changing message to an unbelieving world to make them believers, and the power of God goes out with that message of God to declare the glory of God so that hearts can be changed. That's it in a nutshell. It's very simple. So, we see that happening, and so, um, and then Peter gets up and gives a message, but now we're in Corinthians, and some silly things are happening, and so, because they've started, like, polluting a little bit, uh, which means like, you know, mixing maybe a little bit of their worship with some other things. He's like, listen, he goes, I, um, well, let me just read it for you. We'll start it in verse 12. He says, concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I do want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you, used, you were enticed and led astray by mute idols. So uh, they had other, you know, um, the Gentiles were following all these different kinds of, there was Eastern religions, there was all different kinds of kind of religion, some specific to uh, an area or a dialect, but everybody had kind of a hodgepodge. And sometimes when you get into bigger cities where you would have the East and the West kind of meet, there'd be kind of this big melting pot of religions where everybody would just grab a little bit here and there and make their own religion and, you know, sacrifice what they got to sacrifice. They had fertility cults, all these different kinds of stuff. They had all these multiple different kinds of gods for every little thing they needed. And so that's why what he's saying here is so important for us to get. He says, now, I don't want you being aware these idols that you were led astray by, they're mute. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed and no one going to say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he's like, you're going to know where someone's at by how they speak of whether it is that they're godly or they're not. Jesus would say that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you give somebody enough time talking, you're going to understand where they're at. Now he says, now listen, um, there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities but the same God, and he works all in all to each person. So what he's saying there is, is whether you're doing spiritual gifts, whether you've got ministries, or whether you've got activities, all of them 
are from the same God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three in one, the Trinity. All of it comes from one place. So you're not running over here to get tongues from this guy, and you're not coming over here to get prophecy from this guy, and you're not coming over here to get miracles from this guy. Everything comes from one, God. Pretty important, okay? So, as this is beginning to happen, now he says, now a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, we're coming to spiritual gifts. He says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another by faith, another faith by the same Spirit, another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another performing of miracles, and then prophecy, and then distinguishing of spirits or discernment, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But it's one and the same Spirit is active in these, distributing to each person as he wills. So what the church back here is supposed to look like is it's supposed to look like every single one of us, right, Believing in Jesus Christ and the, and the work that he did for our salvation. And then from that, remember Jesus being baptized, coming up out of the water. The Spirit of God comes upon him like a dove. And John says that it remains. So Jesus didn't do anything without the Holy Spirit up, upon him. Okay? This is important because this is the model of how we live our lives. Now, as Jesus is coming up out of the water, the dove, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. John says it remains, so everything he does from that point on, he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what my Father is saying. That is coming through the Holy Spirit that is upon him to accomplish. And, and the reason that's happening is because that is what it is supposed to look like for us. Okay? So we're saved, right? We, we believed in Jesus, his, his suffering and his, his death on a cross and his uh, a resurrection from the dead. That was a sacrifice for our sins, okay? And then what happens after that is that now that we've received Jesus for our salvation, the Holy Spirit at that same time comes. Now, listen, I, it's kind of wonky sometimes how people explain that, and sometimes people get out of sorts, but the reality of it is, is, is the Holy Spirit does what it wants to do but it's also under orders. So the Father sent Jesus, and Jesus was submitted to the Father. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is submitted to Jesus. Yet they're equal. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come, and yes, we know that he's going to baptize with fire, but he also, Jesus also said he's going to testify of me. Because Jesus isn't going to be here on the earth to testify himself anymore. He's ascended. And so now the Holy Spirit is the thing that's drawing people in. It's moving on people's hearts. It's touching people here and there. It's doing gifts. And so what that looks like for the church today is, all right, if all of you have been saved because you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and uh, I, I've received a sacrifice for my sins, I'm trusting in that, I'm believing by faith, I believe that affects me now, and then it also affects my uh, where I'm going to spend eternity as well. And so I've trusted in that. I'm believing in him. I'm following him. There's a Holy Spirit that comes in at that moment that is a presence of God that dwells within you. Okay? There is. However, comma, there is also a Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit, that can come upon you in certain situations with power to accomplish the work of the Lord. 
And we have seen and can testify that when I have said the sinner's prayer, you know, I've, I've bowed, I've given my life to God at an altar or where I've standing in my seat, and sometimes there's people driving. You know what's happening in the Middle East? Anybody? Jesus is just kind of showing up in taxi cabs. And people are like, what is this? I'm Jesus. Well, hi, Jesus. I'm a Muslim. Not anymore. Are we too American to believe that? There's a whole lot of testimonies of that truth that's happening. Okay? You know why it's happening, I think? Because there's not a whole lot of laborers that are out there doing the work. So this power of the Holy Spirit stuff is, is real. And, and, and so what it looks like here is that, listen, if you're saved and you are and the Holy Spirit's in you, that there are times the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit's in you, he's given you these things. He's given you the fruit of the Spirit, which deals with your character. And then he's given you the, the spiritual gift, the power of the Spirit to accomplish his message. Okay? And I believe that all of them, if they worked back then, they work now because the world has not gotten better. By one stretch. Now, we know there's nothing new under the sun, but we've, we've gotten a lot better at doing bad things. As the world has come together in the sense of um, technology, to where yesterday I was just talking to Scott in Tanzania from my home office. That's technology. That's good stuff. But the world is getting smaller, isn't it? And so because of that, there's more connection. None of that is, is bad in and of itself, but there's also then, then uh, what used to be maybe confined over here is now spreading a lot faster bad stuff, right? We love the Internet. The Internet is awesome. And if it's on the Internet, it must be true, right? Yeah, they couldn't put it on there if it wasn't true. How many times have you heard that? It's got to be true. It's probably about... It's a high number percentage of stuff that's in there that's false, but regardless. So there, technology and stuff is good, but there, there are bad things as well, too, and that spreads. So what we need is we need something that's true and something that's real, the Holy Spirit that is active in us and also depositing gifts and then releasing those gifts in His timing to accomplish His will wherever He has placed us at, okay? So the gifts are not something for me to do when I want to do them, they are given and directed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I hope that's clear. I hope that's clear as mud. So he's saying that all of the stuff comes from one spirit. And then he gets into the body stuff where he talks about how the body is supposed to work together and he uses the human body. And he says, listen, the foot can't tell the hand that it wants to be something else. The, you have what you have and you have a function in the body and everything is equal. Now, he explains that. Now, here's where I want to get to. But then we get to 1 Corinthians 13. And I know we've talked about that a couple times during my five years here. But um, we, have to, we have to go through this again. Because spiritual gifts are governed and, by things. And it's governed by love. And that's why we're in 1 Corinthians 13. Is when we talk about love. All you need is love. Well, you guys are horrible. Come on. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. All you need is All right. Anyway. Well, probably Facebook will get mad at me because I sang that song. Okay. Um, so here's what he's going to talk about. So this love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 falls between 
what he talks about in spiritual gifts in 12 and what he's going to be talking about in 14. So at the center of spiritual gifts is love. You're like, eh, love, whatever, yeah. But it's not the definition of earthly love, right? Because the definition of earthly love is if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. That's the earthly love. I don't think Jesus sings that song. I don't think that's a great worship song. You know, it's funny. Did I ever tell you this? That uh, in my mom and dad's church, they were so desperate, desperate, all five of them, for a move of God. And so these people came and were singing worship. And they're like, so, oh, man, this is awesome. It's going to be revival. And mom's like, we sang this beautiful worship song at church. I'm like, what was it? She's like, I was something that's like, I don't know, it's like when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. I'm like, Mom, that's not a worship song. Who sang that song in church? It's like, well, I don't know. These people did, and I thought it was nice. <laughs> Mom, you're not Catholic. You're Nazarene. Mary's not going to talk to you. doesn't work that way. They're not even big on Mary in your church. Whatever. So... I don't even, that was free. I don't even know where I'm going after that. So, just important. The songs you sing in church are important to be doctrinally true. Okay, so, so, uh, so desperate for some move that when, when anything comes, you think it's a move of the Holy Spirit because you feel it alleviates something that you're missing when it can actually be something that's deceiving. Okay, this is why we got to be careful. So, if I ever start the worship singing Van Halen, you know something has gone wrong and fast. Get him off the stage. Right now! Hey! It's your, no, you know, that's, that's not going to work. Okay, so. I have no idea what is happening right now. Talking about love. Okay, here we are. If you've changed the channel, you can change it back. We're getting back on the word. Okay, so. I'm all hers. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak. Now notice, remember, this is between 12 and 14, which are dealing with spiritual gifts and the order. He says, now listen, if I speak with human or angelic tongues, right? This is Paul talking. If I speak, whether I speak with the tongues of men or angels, human or angelic tongues, right? But I don't have love. I'm this noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And then he says, and if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. So what is he saying? Listen, I don't care if I speak 10,000 words in tongues. If I don't love the people that's happening, it doesn't mean anything. The gift, here's the thing, God can use you, the Spirit of God can use you in spite of yourself. And that is what's dangerous. Just because the Holy Spirit is using you may not be a validation that you're actually in a good place. What? Maybe. Now, I'm, I, this is not to cause fear, not to cause trembling. And here's how you figure this out. If I'm living one way, but proclaiming something else, I got a problem. I got a problem. And even if, because listen, you, most of you have had, listen, Jim Jones. Remember? Ganya. Was it Ganya? Not Ghana, Ghana, Guyana, South America, right? Not Africa, South America. So this guy is a, is a charismatic speaker, 
per, speaker, I mean charismatic as in like personality, right? He's a mover and a shaker, uh, this kinds of stuff. But there was, there was something wrong, wasn't there? People were coming to him thinking that this was a godly thing, but he was a wolf in sheep's clothing, and so he led them astray. So much to the point where, you know, he's having affairs and he's beating people, blah, blah, blah. So much to the point where, where things were going to come down to him in America. They took all these people to South America, started their commune, and then they killed them all. Right? The senator flies in, going to check some stuff out, and as he's leaving, he sends his guys out to kill him. Then he tells all these people, drink the Kool-Aid, saying that we're going to meet together in the life beyond. Heaven, um, heavens, what's that one? It's California. What is it? Heaven's Gate, yeah, yeah. I, my wife's from California, so I have a river. So uh, those guys, right, so they, 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 they uh, the comet was coming. Haley Bob, yeah, and they filled all their socks with quarters to pay the toll guy, and so they killed themselves so they could hop on the comet as it was going by. Whoa. Talk about determination, Right? But you don't even have to go that far. There's, there are cults that look like Christian and are saying things, but they're deceiving. If you take the time and listen, the spirit that's coming out from them is not the Holy Spirit of God. Because it's preaching a different Jesus than what the Word of God says. Okay? All right. Now, why is that important? Because when we talk about prophecy, prophecy a lot of times is God giving you, in the New Testament, it's God giving you a revelation and you saying it. In the Old Testament, it was an office to where these people had to study to hear the voice of God. And case in point, when you go to 1 Samuel, Hannah, who's the mother of Samuel, Eli, who's the prophet, Hannah can't get pregnant. She's the second wife of Elkanah. And all of a sudden, you know, she's feeling it from the other wife who's got some kids. Oh, you're worthless, right? Uh, and, and, she's not, and so she goes to the temple. She's crying out. Eli, the pre- she's praying, uh, moving her lips, but not, nothing's coming out. She's praying to the Lord. And, 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 and Eli sees it and says, get your drunk rear end out of here. I'm not drunk. I'm just praying, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, okay, well, then, uh, then may God grant your petition. And so then all of a sudden she gets pregnant. Well, what she prayed was that I'm going to bring the, my Samuel back. I'll dedicate him to the Lord. And so as he's weaned, he's brought back. He's given to Eli to be raised up in the house of the Lord to be a prophet. Now, as Eli is growing up, young man, the Bible says that, you know, Eli is— Excuse me, Samuel is, is in there, and he's ministering with a little ephod. Oh, he's so cute. He's got a little toy ephod on doing this stuff. But the Bible says that he didn't even know God while he was doing this stuff. Didn't even know him. Eli is, is you know, I kind of feel bad for the guy because he's got two sons that are basically robbing the people they're supposed to be serving and they are having sex with the girls that are coming in to try and bring stuff to God. So they're really bad guys. They call themselves priests, but they're bad priests. And Eli, who's the father of them, who is the priest, does not discipline them. And even when he talks to them, he's like, you you kind of imagine, oh, guys, we just kind of stopped doing that. Instead of being the father who's bringing the rod of correction. See, if because he didn't bring the rod of correction, the Lord had to correct that, and it cost them sons their life. Prophecy is very, is very serious business. So, as you're looking at 1 Samuel, all of a sudden he grows up, and here we come to this thing. So, uh, he's, uh, Samuel's sleeping in a room, Eli's sleeping in another room, and all of a sudden uh, Samuel gets up and says, Hey, you called me? No, I didn't call you. Oh, 
goes back down. Hey, did you call me? No. It does that another time. And then Eli is like, oh, this might be the, this might be the Lord. And then he tells us, hey, listen, if it happens again, just say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. Okay. Happens again a couple times. And all of a sudden he says, yes, Lord, your servant is, is, is listening. And all of a sudden God makes himself known to Samuel and gives Samuel a word that's directly from the, the mouth of the father. And we're like, yay, you got a word from the Lord. Woo! The problem is it's not a happy word. He's got to go in the morning when they wake up. Eli says, no, you got to tell me everything the Lord told you and don't leave anything out. But I'm scared. Listen, it's going to happen to you if you don't say what's supposed to be said. All right, here's what the Lord said. Um, you're all going to die. Your sons are going to be judged and everything's going to be taken away from you and it's over. This is just my translation. Read the whole thing for yourself. And Eli's like, yep, that's the Lord. Because he realizes that he hasn't been the type of father to his sons, nor has he been the type of priest to the nation. And so he's held accountable for that. And then all of a sudden Samuel comes on the scene. And read the rest of 1 Samuel. You'll see all the things that he does. He, God has revealed himself in great ways. So Samuel is a judge, but Samuel is also a prophet. And I'll tell you what, when people, when cities see Samuel coming, they get freaked out because they don't know what's going to happen. And so there's a story of where they see, they see him coming and they send out some guys like, hey, are you coming to be nice or are we all going to die? I'm coming peaceable to you. Right? So in the Old Testament... Man, you see the prophets coming, you didn't know what you were going to get. It, it could very well be correction, and correction was, was heavy. Now, prophecy has changed in the New Testament. Because sometimes people would say, I, I've heard this from people, hey, listen, you, the reason prophecy is not real in the New Testament because um, if you don't get it right, we're supposed to stone people, and we're not doing that. Like, Well, that's because we're under the New Covenant, and prophecy operates differently under the new covenant than under the other covenant. It doesn't mean that it's less important or you won't be held accountable because you're going to be held accountable by every word that comes out of your mouth. So if you say you're speaking from God, but you're speaking from flesh, then God may not strike you with lightning. God may not judge you like he did in the Old Testament because of the goodness and grace of Jesus, but you're going to be held, from every word, from, about, held accountable about every word that comes out of your mouth. And a hush fell over the crowd. Right? So that's a heavy statement. So here's, when you hear the commandment, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, it's not a cuss word. It's not GD. It's taking the name of the Lord in vain is me saying the Lord said something that the Lord didn't say or the Lord didn't authorize. Okay? And that's, that's important. So when we think about prophecy being used by the Lord to communicate a revelation, I want to make sure that the revelation that I'm communicating is through the Lord. This is why, no, stop. Let me get through 11, let me get through 13, and then I'll give you the rest of that. So, now listen, uh, so the prophecy, understand all mysteries, knowledge. If I'm the smartest guy in the room, and I have faith that I can move mountains, remember, he's talking about these over here in 12, and then he's saying they mean nothing if I don't have love. Even if I give away all my possessions, even if I, I, I give everything away and I give over my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. He's like, so whether, whether it's uh, ministries, whether it's activities, whether it's 
gifts, whatever it is that you think you have and whatever it is that you're doing, if you don't have love, it's like you're trying to earn your salvation with it, which you can never do. And here's the problem when we come to spiritual gifts. Here's where people get really messed up. Are you ready? If you're ready, say yes. Okay. People get messed up with spiritual gifts when they tie their identity to the gift. I am important because I can prophesy. I am important because I have the gift of tongues. And so they, they, they gain their significance from what they do instead of who they are in Christ. Christ loved you before you ever had a gift. While you were still a sinner, Christ loved you and he died for you. So it wasn't because of how great you were going to be, because all your greatness comes from him anyway. So you really had nothing to offer. So he came to you in love and said, I'm going to save you, and then I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to be full of love, you're going to be full of power, you're going to have all this great stuff, but it's all coming from him. I had nothing in this to offer him that he thought, ah, that Steve guy, he's a little bit better than that Dan guy. So let's, let's, let's love him a little bit more. But no. Let, let, let's gift him a little bit more. No, 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 no. So the first thing that has to be set before we go anywhere else is the fact that God saved you and God loves you and you've got to receive that love. And then you've got to reciprocate that love. It can be hard to receive it. It can be tough. Because you think you're not worthy. Well, you're not. Who said you had to be declared worthy? You're not worthy of it. That's the greatness of it. I don't have to, I don't, I can just receive it. I don't have to dust myself off. I don't have to clean myself off. I don't have to stop drinking for two weeks and then God really will love me. I don't have to stop doing this. His love is coming to me in the most wicked and vile places that I am at. And then when I receive it, it draws me up out of it. And then he sets me in a seat next to him in the heavenlies, Ephesians tells us, spiritually. This is all done of his love, which is why when we look at 1 Corinthians 13, it's not a chapter about marriage. It's not a chapter specifically for that. It's a chapter about how you are supposed to live and what God has done so that you can live that way from who you are and what he's declared you to be. See, God's language is the prophetic. So when he speaks to me, he's not speaking to me of what I was. He's speaking to me of what I could be and what he's declared to happen. When he comes to Gideon, who's in a a wine barrel hiding out, stomping out a little grapes to get a little food to take up to his family who's hiding out in the mountains, right? He comes to him and says, mighty man of valor. Who are you talking to? He, does, he knows he's not a mighty man of valor. He's hiding. Trying to scra- scrape up a few things. But when the, when, the, when the angel of the Lord comes to him, he tells him what he's going to be when he comes upon him. That he does today with you. Okay. 
Let's move. So then he goes and gives a definition. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does ooh, that's a tough one. It's not irritable. Can I be a little bit irritable? Because sometimes it's tough. Sometimes you guys make me mad. Sometimes I probably make you mad. Sometimes I make my wife mad. <gasps> Not the pastor's wife. No. Steve, you had to do something really bad to make her irritable, right? I'm going to do this again. Love is patient. I'm not, in my humanness, I'm not. And Chicago driving reminds me of that. <laughs> Love is kind. In my humanness, I'm not. I'm, I'm, let's be honest. In our humanness, we really don't care about the person in front of us who doesn't have enough money to pay for their groceries. In our humanness, we're like, oh, could you have been behind me? so I can get through and get to where I need to go. Or the price check. Oh, the price checks, right? Listen, lady, you had to, there were 400 of those things that had prices on them, and magically, you grabbed the one that doesn't and had to butt in line in front of me. Just being honest. These things are real in our flesh, and sometimes we like to pretend that we're so holy that it doesn't bother us, and we, how's your day? Oh, good, good, you know, Jesus is great. But we don't tell anybody about the grocery line or Chicago driving. Like, man, I did not display love to that lady. And that guy in Chicago traffic <laughs> was telling me I was number one, but I don't really think that's what he was saying, Right? See, these things are easy to read. And we're like, read this, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, Danny, you got to be more loving. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all got to be more loving. But what does that look like? That is, that is the, the word of God challenging me to become like him in every situation, which means that when I leave here on Sunday, I don't get an out not to, to do love. It's like, it's like, okay, well, I'm coming to church. Let's put on love. At least look good. Love happens when I leave this door and I'm challenged in every place that I go. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I don't want to envy. I don't want to be boastful. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be self-seeking. I don't want to be irritable. I don't want to be irritable. And, and it does not keep record of wrongs. Well, who threw that one in there? Right? Because I like to keep record of wrongs. It makes me feel better about myself. Don't act surprised. You do the same things. We like to say we don't, but sometimes that flesh gets in there and we throw it way in the back thinking it's gone and something happens. It comes flying back to the front of the cortex again. <laughs> oh, I thought I dealt with that, but I guess I didn't. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in truth. And then this is what it does. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but... When it comes to the gifts, prophecy, tongues, all those different kinds of things, knowledge, those things are going to come to an end, aren't they? Those things are going to end. But love is never going to end. So what should we be focusing on as believers? 
love. Because that's never going to end. But the gifts are. Now, the problem is when. Well, let's look at this. He says, uh, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. So this is Paul. In the Old Testament, it wasn't really like this. They got a word from the Lord. It was from the Lord, and they went and said it. In the New Testament, he's like, listen, our prophecy is in part now. We see in part and we prophesy in part. So listen, when you have someone that wants to give you like three pages of a prophetic word, thank you, eh, why? Paul addresses this in 14. He's like, listen, let three people prophesy, which means a prophecy in the New Testament is getting a revelation from God about what is being spoken about. And this is what he says. If there's a prophet who is standing and speaking and somebody else who is sitting gets that revelation, the one who is standing needs to be quiet so that the one who is sitting who got a revelation can speak. Why? Because the longer you go on talking about a prophetic revelation, the more chance there is is to get yourself involved in that prophetic word. Prophecy, we need prophecy. We want prophecy. But we also have to say this is how it works when it comes to the New Testament. I'll have you know that there were people who gave prophecies in the New Testament and got it wrong. Why? Because they prophesy in part. We'll cover that next week. This actually is, is great. So that so I, I, I get out of, when we talk about prophecy, I get out of the thus saith the Lord's. That was good for the Old Testament because those people spent years listening and, and studying. In the New Testament, um, do you know that there's nobody that says thus saith the Lord in the New Testament? There's one guy that says thus says the Holy Spirit and he's the guy that got it wrong. Talking about Paul being handed over in prison. Agabus. Now Paul was handed over but it wasn't directly how he said it was going to happen. So he prophesies in part. We see in part, we prophesy in part. But sometimes we don't get the whole. So how do I deal with this with myself? I, I just say what I feel the revelation is and then I, I, I let it go. Because maybe you were to give the revelation and somebody else gets that revelation, especially when it comes between people, and they're the ones that take it and apply it. They know where, probably a lot better than I do, if it's for them, how that's supposed to be played out in their life. Okay, so I got to be governed by love. But when that which is perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. So what is that which is perfect? So some people say, well, that's the canon. That's the Bible. When we got the Bible, that's perfect. So now we no longer need spiritual gifts. Well, remember, they had the Old Testament, and that didn't work for them. So why would we think that something written is going to be all we need? No, we, the, Holy, the gifts of the Spirit are alive today. The problem is, is they've been very misused by people. Maybe good-intentioned people but they've been misused. And so there's been a whole generation of people like, I don't want to deal with that trash. Now that seems real to me. I get that. But listen, we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You can, but you're, you're not living up to the fullness of what God has. Paul spends a lot of time telling you how to use spiritual gifts in the Bible. He spends... It's more than just Corinthians. He goes through and he talks about spiritual gifts in this. Ask yourself why if it's going to end in just 
a few years later with the canon. That doesn't even make sense. Because Paul always understood that these gifts are going to be with us the rest of our lives until that which is perfect come. What is that which is perfect? Well, there's other things. It could be the maturity of the believer and the maturity of the church. Could be that. Let's look at that for a second, and then we're going to end. We'll close the book. So look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 15, and, and look with this, because I just found this to be interesting. Um... Ephesians 4, yeah, 11 through 15. Look at this. In 11, it says, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, right? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Okay. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, God gave us for a purpose of equipping saints for the work of ministry to build up the body until we all reach the unity in faith and the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into maturity with stature measured in Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning and cleverness in teaching deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way to him who is the head Christ. Let me read that again. Let us grow every way into him who is the head Christ. So, a prophets, a, a, a prophets, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are given to us, according to Ephesians, to equip us so that we can go do ministry, the work of God in, in out there. For here, but also out there. So they are gifts. So, are we finished with that? No. So we still need these offices to help with the training. Listen, this is along with elders. So you need people who are having these gifts who will help train people to go do ministry. And you have elders who are overseeing the spiritual and are able to teach as well. So it's not one without the other. It's everything working. For what purpose? For maturity, what's the end goal of maturity? To be like him in every way. Okay? Now, look at Acts 2.42. What did uh, Acts 2.42 say? I'm glad you asked. Acts 2.42 is when the church starts happening, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' what? Teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they devoted themselves to what? Teaching. The apostles' teaching. The teaching that they were teaching about Christ. And as the church begins to grow and formulate in other places, there's not apostles in every single church, but there's the teaching. And Paul becomes an apostle later on down the road. You know this. And so he's writing letters. He's teaching. He's correcting all these different kinds of things. For what purpose? Because sometimes things are going wrong. He's got to set it straight. But for what purpose? So that we can grow into the fullness of Christ. So how does that then work itself out in 1 Corinthians? What is then becomes perfect that comes? I think you're always going to have this until he returns. Because he's perfect. 
I think you're going to have gifts. I think you're going to have all these things functioning in the church until either if you're a rapture guy, we get raptured out. Or if you, if, if you have a belief that we're going to go through the tribulation, you better believe we're going to need some stuff, some gifts to get through that, don't you? Don't you know? Don't you know? Yeah? You're going to need some stuff. Right? If you're raptured, great. If I, got a, if I get a choice, I'm going with the rapture. That's, you know, that's what I'd like. But if, if I'm going through this, that I, I'm going to need the gifting and the power of the Holy Spirit to still declare the things of God. So that which is perfect has come, Him, and full maturity when He's there, that, that is when we won't need anything. Because look what he says here. Look what he says. Remember what Ephesians is talking about, the ch- child? Look what he says here in First in Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I felt like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Face to face. Face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. So listen, the gifts are going to be around until he comes back. And I'm going to be, keep growing to fully maturity, to be like him and, and, and to know him, which means that what's going to happen is I become fully mature. I'm going to become more and more confident of who I am in him and who he is and how he functions in me. And that's the maturity that happens to the church and to believers is we become confident and convinced that he is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he'll do. And all I got to do is listen to what he says and do what he says and watch as the glory of God comes and changes people's lives. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.